Hector Ortiz Sanchez got pulled into the world of water treatment as a young adult, and he hasn't looked back. He spent years running plants in Puerto Rico, but a few years ago, he decided he couldn't realize his ambitions on the island. The mainland was calling. I had this feeling like I won't stay there because I, I love what I do. I just, I need to show people. Today on Interstates, Hector Ortiz Sanchez shares his love of water treatment. And then at the end of the show, we'll introduce a new segment, Guilty Pleasures. That's all coming up right after this. Welcome to Interstates from WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana. I'm Alex Chambers. It's usually in late childhood or early adolescence when we start to dream about being the best at something. Becoming a pro basketball player, pop star, famous author. It's usually based on admiring someone. In my day, it was Michael Jordan, then Britney Spears. I'm talking generally, not about myself. A little later, on the author side, it was David Foster Wallace. So, okay, there's a little bit of me. The point is, we find role models in the pantheon of fame, and then we start to dream of achieving the heights they managed. It's rare, I think, that someone wants to be the best wastewater treatment plant operator in the country. But that's Hector's dream. I want more. I want to be better. I I want to be better, better. How I see myself is trying to be more knowledgeable. In that way, I will be like one of the best right now. And that's what I'm looking. One of the best operators in the whole country. His ambitions go beyond wastewater. He also wants to be the best drinking water plant operator in the country. But we're going to focus on wastewater here. Wastewater treatment is not a sexy topic. It's probably among the least sexy you can imagine, really. But it affects you, especially if you live in a place where there are other people, not just on your own in the woods. Before we had sewage treatment, sewage just went straight into waterways. It was a big problem in lots of places, including 19th century London. There was a series of cholera outbreaks connected to a lack of sanitation. Tens of thousands of people died. Raw sewage and industrial waste had been building up in the River Thames for years. The summer of 1858 was unusually hot. The river had smelled bad before, but July and August turned into the great stink in London. Along with the stench, people worried about the miasma effect, which, at the time, was how they thought diseases were spread, by breathing in stinky, contaminated air. The thing about disasters, though, is that they can finally get people to act. There was this civil engineer, Joseph Bazalgette, who proposed a sewer system for central London in reaction to the Great Stink. The idea was to send wastewater east, out of the city, before letting it back into the river. The city accepted the proposal, built the sewers over the next 15 years, and a century and a half later, it's still in use. Historians think Bazalgette saved more lives than any other official from that era. Maybe you haven't heard of him but you can start to see why Hector might admire wastewater treatment operators. They say infrastructure is invisible until it breaks down. But I think we should get to know our infrastructure when it's working, too. So, where do you think the water goes when you flush the toilet? Like, what's the process? When I was, like, five and six... I I thought it went to, like, a building that cleaned water, like, people who had to, like, clean out the water and then, like, send it back after it was cleaned. But now I'm pretty sure that it just goes to, like, the sewers. I decided to ask the nearest eight-year-old. Do you want to address who I am? Do you want to address who you are? I'm Talis, Alex's child. Before we got to Talis's current understanding, I asked them to tell me more about that building they pictured when they were little. I would not want to work there. What did you imagine, though? 
I imagine like the water coming in in tubes, like in the ceiling, then coming down into like buckets. People would put strainers over the buckets and pour the water into another bucket. And like if it was pee, then that wouldn't really work. But for poop, that would like sometimes work with some of it. Since straining the water was obviously not going to completely clean the water, Talus imagined another step too. Notice the magical thinking. But then they would like use a special like sucking tube or something that like sucked up all the other stuff from out there that it could like sense if it was like clean water so it wouldn't suck that stuff up. Magic, right? How does the tube figure out what to suck up and what to leave? How would it only suck up the contamination? Not very realistic. Except it's not that far from how most of us experience technology. Like, how does a computer work? I press some buttons on a keyboard and words appear on a screen. I bet most of you listening can't actually describe that process any better than I could. And in a way, that's true for how actual water treatment works, too. It's also kind of magical. But we'll get there. First, think about how you think wastewater gets dealt with. Here's what the mature eight-year-old Talus thinks. I feel like there's like a tube to just go down there to into the sewers. You mean from the toilet? Yeah. And then the sewers goes to a sewage plant like you went to. But what um what's at the sewage what do you imagine is at the sewage plant? I imagine how you described it was like you were like standing on the edge of a a river kind of of like poop and pee. I promise there was no river of excrement. But there is water flowing into the wastewater treatment plant, which means it also needs to leave eventually. My last question to Talis was, where does it go when it leaves the plant? Uh... I don't think it does, but a place it could go was like a landfill. It could go to a landfill. All the water? Yeah. They like, like under that giant hill, they have like a big metal container that has all the water in it. It doesn't go to a landfill. Talus's next guess was they send the clean water back to people's bathrooms. Not a bad idea. But so you don't have to keep guessing, here's the answer. The wastewater that flows into the Dillman Wastewater Treatment Plant south of Bloomington, once it's cleaned, it exits the plant into a channel, and that channel connects with Clear Creek, a natural stream. But I wanted to understand the whole process, and who better to walk me through it than an up-and-coming star in wastewater treatment? Hector Ortiz Sanchez. Hector grew up in Puerto Rico. That's where he got started in his career. But he didn't grow up wanting to become a water treatment star. When he was a kid, his dad bought him a science kit. You wanted to be a pilot. Did you also want to be a scientist? Uh, no, no, that, no. <laughs> it wasn't until he was a young adult that he got the bug. I remember like the first time I went to a plant, they have like this cabinet with a, a lot of light and switches. Those lights and switches were how they controlled all the pumps and valves. And to me, that was like, whoa, I'm I, like a toy, like a big, huge toy. So he started working in the plant as a janitor. Then, one day... The operator asked for, uh, for that position. The operator, the guy in charge, wanted to be the janitor. He had seniority, and the janitor job was closer to his house. So they let him take Hector's job, and that meant they needed an operator. They sent me to the water plant, <laughs> and, and that's how I started, in drinking water 2001, and since then, I love it. Hector was excited to show me the wastewater treatment plant. He drove me from building to building in a gator. He told me about each step it takes to clean wastewater so they can send it back to the wild. And we talked about his own experiences becoming the leader of this institution. Here's our tour. Is there kind of like, like recognition of some of the best, some of the top people? Yes, yes. Actually, like Indiana, American Water World Association, those kind of 
a big huge conference they give some how you say recognition like recognition uh-huh. thank you for people who do good in this field yeah. um but I'll be honest those who, most of those guys they are very old <laughs> <laughs> they have been in the system or in the field for a long time. <laughs> uh, so, so sort of lifetime achievement awards. Yeah. <laughs> like, thanks, thanks for your service. Thanks for your service. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't want to be disrespectful, but um, this is not the point. But what I'm saying is they have been like long here enough where people can see what they, what they have been doing in the past, you know, for a long time. So here in Indiana, they have more like uh, young people, and and I like that, uh, where they are bringing more people to this field. And I believe you can see a lot of uh, young people in their um, recognition. But if you go with to this big, huge conference, yeah, they are more with PhD, uh, uh, those kind of studies and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. But so I think part of what I'm curious about is like you want to be like the best, not just the best you can be, but you kind of have like maybe a little bit of competitive aspect oh. to you. And like, is it, is there an element of like the glory? Does that make sense? Yeah, I see. Yeah, I see, I see what you're saying. Well, no, I will say it's not me. Uh, what I'm looking is expand the knowledge and have one of the best utilities in the whole country. I believe that will be the main goal. Mm-hmm. That one I'm looking honestly. It's not for myself, it's like the whole team, the whole team. That will be like my next step. Yeah. Other than, 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 than looking for me, I'm looking more to bring more people with me. Might be good to go walk around a little. Yeah, that sounds Show good me to stuff. me. Yep. Okay, great. That sounds good to me. Yeah. Yes, sir. You want to see the whole process, right? Yeah. Perfect. Okay, this is uh, so all the water will come here to this building. Okay. And this is just like from the outside, just like a rectangular building. Yep. Pretty basic. We almost a swimming pool of raw water. You will see it now. Okay. <laughs> or sewage water. Okay. So this is water that's coming from the city? From it's like wastewater. Yes. Okay. Yep. Wastewater coming from the city. Okay. Sewage water. Yes. It smells like Great it. Great water. Yep. <laughs> it smells like it. <laughs> uh, and you can see how much trash we can find. You can, we can find there all the things Cross your mind. Like what? <laughs> like money. Like they found one day like a cone, uh, the the orange cone. Like a from, traffic cone? Like a traffic cone. A lot of condoms, a lot of women stuff. Uh, I won't say anything. I will show you. Okay. <laughs> oh. Yeah, okay, so it's like a little pile of um, of toys, toys. but like old looking yeah, toys, yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. These are like, you know. The shark. <laughs> oh yeah, a little shark head and a, a 10-sided die and some, a so, to- some teeth. Yep. Has it been challenging being um, not from Indiana? Yes. Yes. Uh, in the very beginning, <laughs> in the very, very beginning, when I, when I first moved here, it was very challenging because how you can hear, I have a strong accent, but before I wasn't able to tell you. I will give you an example. I used to say temperature. <laughs> Do you know exactly what? Ma- mountain. Mountain, mountain, Morrisville, temperature, vegetable. <laughs> I used to call, uh, tell people vegetable, and I remember their phrase was like, "What? What you are? What? What you are saying, Hector?" Yeah. Um, so I was reading. So I start to tell people, 
I know it's hard to understand, so let's do something. You read in your mind, and then you explain me how I need to say it. So I start to tell them, like, vegetable, mountain, uh, that kind of stuff, and, and they start to understand what I was trying to say. I used to work with this guy, Barrymore. He, he was very good. I could not finish a sentence, and he jumped in, and he knew exactly what I was saying. And he just, uh, he told me one day, Hector, it's not like your accent or your, uh, if you know English or not, we just need to fine tune exactly what we're, uh, what we're listening. And we fine tune that and I'm pretty sure people will understand. All right. I hope you understand that we need to take breaks occasionally. This is Interstates. We're talking with Hector Ortiz Sanchez, who runs Bloomington's water treatment plants, about how he wants to share his love of water treatment. Stay with us. Interstates, Alex Chambers. We're in the midst of a tour with Hector Ortiz Sanchez of the Dillman Wastewater Treatment Plant. It's on the south side of Bloomington, Indiana. The first place Hector took me was into the squat brick building where the wastewater starts to get processed. It's one story, pretty unremarkable. Wow, okay, so we just, we're going down a few flights of stairs here. This little, that, this little nondescript building <laughs> has a lot underneath it. Uh, it's like 50 feet from the floor up there. When we go to the doctor, I will consider that like the maintenance people or employees who they come here and work every day trying to have the heart running right. I can give you an example. So we have this pipe with a valve over 40 years old. Two weeks ago, the pipe in the bottom got eroded. So the basement in the lift station got flooded. A lot of electrical equipment got submerged. It was like two or three inch hole and caused a lot of problem. It's almost $30,000 just to get a repair. It was four inch from the floor in a channel which is, I don't know, few inches. So in no way you can have a welder there to... Nice. Uh, and so this started leaking. They, this got fluted, look. This had... So this panel was submerged and a lot of... and, and some others. Wow. But we are... you can see that, you know, 30, 40 years old, so... Yeah, right. It just got eroded in the bottom. Uh-huh. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Grit removal. Grit, yep, it's in the top, but you can see what oh, kind wow. of material. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of grit. Yep, that's a lot of grit coming and out corn. of the sewer. And corn, yep. That's got its own smell. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what made you decide you wanted to leave PR? Economy there is kind of hard. Salary for drinking and wastewater operator and Puerto Rico is one of the lowest pay. One of the most amazing operators coming from there, but uh, the pay is not very good. And then I came here when I searched in Google, like how much an operator average will do, et cetera, et cetera. I'm thinking, well, then that's a good money. Let me try. And honestly, when I move here, I move here with not much pay, honestly. 2016, when I moved here, making 12, 25 an hour like, a, like an operator, certified operator, driving every day to Indy back and forth. So my wife told me, Hector, you're making almost this year in Puerto Rico. Why you want to go there? And I told her, I don't know. I had this feeling like I won't stay there because I, I love what I do. I just, I need to show people. You won't stay in that position. You'll move up. Yeah, yeah I will move up. I will move up. And yeah, it took me a few months just to show them like this guy, he know what he's doing. When I got hired, I have a funny story, I believe. They made my interview. Uh, man, again, my English uh, just 
two years ago, you know, two years after I moved here, um, they start to uh, ask me all those kind of questions, me struggling with my with my language. And, and I remember uh, the question they asked me was, how much do you know about wastewater? And I told them, could I get a paper? They gave me a paper. I, I start to do drawing small. Influence, aeration, clarifier, disinfection. Could you be more, a little bit more, deeper, deeper? The third time I went so far, they stopped me and they said, well, don't worry, I learned something today. <laughs> I just learned something today. Two hours later, I got a call <laughs> from my old employer, uh, uh, the company I used to work. Hey, I just got a call from City of Bloomington. <laughs> and so at this point, the water has had trash taken out and grit taken and out. Grit taken out. But it's still like sewage. Sewer. Still sewage. Yep, you can see how like the color still yeah, like right. is not treated, right? right? The process for this plant is activated sludge. Uh, what that means is you have microorganisms living in a flock, and the contact of that flock with the water will, there is where we'll eat all the organic stuff coming into the plant. So the water in this particular pool is coming in in a certain place, and it comes in from one place and then gets pushed slowly Slo yep. around, and that's where it's having the contact they with the microorganisms. Yes, yes. And then it exits at this little uh, this waterfall leader. over yep. here. It, uh, yep. We call it trough, but yes, in the waterfall, <laughs> in the waterfall there. Yep. I, it looks more like a trough from here. Like a trough. <laughs> <laughs> you can see it here. I will show you there because you can see uh, where the pipe is. Um, here, do you see that pipe there? Uh, yeah, it's like a, a, an open pipe in the wall like exiting. A, yep. So that your return. So in the plant, you need to build some age in the microorganism. So you need to return. Well, we are going now to the clarifier. It will settle and return it. Return the, the microorganisms. The, the, yep, the solids. Which, uh, the microorganism, they are in the solid. I'll show right. you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like, <laughs> it's like um, I make sourdough bread. Huh? Sourdough bread? Do you know, like, um, so it's bread that's made with like a wild yeast instead of a, um, instead of buying yeast from the store. Okay. You keep a little bit of bread. Oh, bread, yeah. And you use it for the next. For the next batch. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, I know what you're saying, yes. Yeah. So yeah, we, all we, we are returning here. Uh-huh. In the sewage water is coming all the time, our return is coming all the time okay. also. Okay, yeah, cool. This is our life. We live for this. And I believe that the stuff we have right now, going back uh, when we start to talk today, um, the stuff we have here now, I'm, I'm proud of them because it is, is, uh, they care now. They care, and I like that. I have respect for that. You feel like you helped bring that a bit? Uh, yeah, I can say, yeah. I believe being positive helped tremendously with a lot of people. It's not probably the me taking credit, it's just the positive things. Yeah, and right. then people start to, how you start to earn, earn respect and yeah. this and that, so. And maybe people seeing how much you care and that kind yes, of yes. reflects. Yep, I have two operators who, they, so this is what I, uh, something like always kind of bothered me was, um, you have all these people who they know a lot of more English than me, but they don't go forward with the license. You know, they just mm. stay there. Uh, and I remember like these two guys, uh, they told me like, Hector, you impact me. Like, uh, because where we are in the comfort zone, so Hector just went one step above just because he want to do something. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm trying to help them. Like, you guys need to, get license, uh, training, et cetera, et cetera. Be more knowledgeable. And I can see a positive side of that. You know, they have been taking care now. They know exactly what they need to 
So I'm proud of them. <laughs> The water after uh, go from the from basin go to the clarifiers, okay. and it will go to the trough, and then we are going to see the clarifiers. And I'll explain you there what we have. The water will come in the middle, and you can see like it's pushing to the side or in the center ring. Oh. The center ring looks like it has more stuff in it. Looks like dirtier, yep, scummier almost. Because it's coming from the basin, right. from the trough, to the center ring. Right. Right here. Right. And you can see the flock. So, yeah. I was telling you the flock also. Yeah. There is where the microorganism live. Right, right. So it will push the solid to settle. And then you can see the whole thing. I'm going to jump in here and describe the clarifiers. The clarifiers are those big round pools you've probably seen at wastewater treatment plants. Here's what happens with them. After the flocks of microorganisms have eaten all the organic matter they can, the water gets pumped into the clarifiers from the middle. There's still sediment in the water. And it's coming up almost like a fountain, except that it's all underwater. But it's like it's coming up from the middle, being pushed. And so the solids are kind of going, getting pushed up, but then falling in a sort of fountain kind of direction. They will fall, yep, they will fall. Okay. Uh, and then the drag arm, they move so slow, yeah. in that way they don't create too much turbulence. Right. Right. So the right. sediment settles, yeah. and that drag arm slowly right. sweeps to, across yeah, the bottom of the, the pool center. to push yeah. all those solids to an exit in the center. So the only, the only process we have done here right now so far is just um, the aeration basin where the where the microorganism will take care of the solid, BOD, etc. Uh, other than that, it's just sedimentation here, uh, and that's it. So, and you can see how clear it is. Yeah. So the microorganism, they do a lot of this work. Yeah, that's fascinating. Here, our chief is 24-7. So doesn't matter how is the weather outside or what day it is or, or not, none of that. We need to report to work if yeah. they, if we are, you know, if the conditions, uh, you know, the city can close, but the operator, we need to come here right. and, and, and report to work. Yeah. And I ne and I believe in, in the in my interview, I always say that how important that is. Um, um, so the commitment to being here, regardless, 24-7, does that affect your family life at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My kids, they grew up, and I spent a lot of time with them, but not like I wish. Because when you sign the contract, that exactly what I say. Like, no one show up, you cannot leave. You cannot leave the plan alone. Of course, uh, superintendent take care, and we do a lot, a lot of, you know, we do call out for people, but... Um, Sometimes we just don't find anyone and you need to stay. After the water get clarified with the, in the clarifiers, this plant has a tertiary treatment. Uh, we use filters here. Okay. So we're going to go and see the filters. Okay, great. So water will come in the inside pipe. And then this is like a membrane, plastic. And the water will flow from the inside to the outside, and the inside will keep the solids. The, the kind of cloudiness, you, yeah, were, right. you, you saw it there? Right. And then the sprayers, it will be very soon, it will start to do a backwash, which is just send water backward okay. to send these solids back into the plant. There is, there is. It's rinsing the filter? Yeah, yeah, cleaning the filter. You can see how clean it starts to look. Yeah, definitely. We are missing only one step. Okay. Desinfection. Oh, Need right. to be disinfected. So here, after the water, he filtrated, it will come right here. Okay. And here, this is the contact tank. 
You see, it's like a labyrinth. Yeah. So it's to have more contact time uh -huh. with the disinfection. And okay. that PVC well, pipe, it will uh, feed bleach to the water. Okay. Around 40 minute contact time. Uh-huh. And then it will discharge to the creek there. And what, uh, what creek is it and where does it go? Clear Creek. Oh, Clear Creek. Clear Creek, uh, uh -huh. uh, which I know like very familiar. It's uh, exactly where I go. I really go to Bedford or huh. join to the White River. Okay. So the water is in these, uh, what were those called? The contact? Oh, the contact tanks. Contact tanks. So the water is in the contact tanks and it's getting bleached. And then at what point does it get dechlorinated? Dechlorinated. Yes, sir. But well, wait, it gets dechlorinated and chlorinated in the same place? Nope. It will oh. get chlorinated here in the beginning and then it will get chlorinated, oh. dechlorinated in the, in the very far. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Part of the reason also because I like this job is because I kayak downstream. That is one of the prettiest routes. Huh. Like I ever made here. And you can, yeah, you can feel proud of being yeah, yeah, taking like care of the taking water. Care. Yep. Yeah. I called to my co-workers and I told them, how much is the flow? This amount of flow. Okay, perfect. That all I need to do, just keep it, keep it, keep the flow high because I, I want to do it. And that creek system will take you all the way to Cedar Bluff. See, yeah, I love Cedar Bluff. It's lovely. Yep. Okay, yeah, that's so interesting. I guess for, for whatever reason, I hadn't really thought a whole lot about where the water goes from, from the treatment plant. Yep, uh, Clear Creek. Uh -huh. Water uh, slush will come through there. Okay. The bale is kind of porous, so water will percolate uh -huh. through the build, and then the sludge will stay in the top. And then you see two rollers there where it will squeeze the sludge right. once you put the polymer. Uh -huh. Jeff, I'm showing him the press yes, and how clean they are. Look, look how clean they, this so guy is. <laughs> I know. It's amazingly clean. <laughs> how long have you been operating this? This machine, roughly 12, 13 years. Okay. Do you like it? Yes, I do. Yeah, it's a good job. What do you like? Oh, I like the flexibility on the hours, plenty of overtime. Um, it's more of my area of work. You know, I get to run heavy equipment and do this. Yeah. Indoors, outdoors. You keep a clean place. Thank you. Thank nice. you very much. This is home. I basically almost live in this building. I mean, there's many, many weeks to get 50, 60 hours a week working up here. So, you know, you got to keep it looking somewhat nice. They sent me to Blucher Pool for an interim superintendent, just covering another superintendent for two months only. When I came back, we were having like a situation with some blowers situation, <clears throat> operational situation. And I came back and I started to fine tune a few things in the tunnel. Uh -huh. And the guy in the construction, he was getting called, called for two weeks after the pro, uh, you know. Okay, uh, he was getting calls. Calls all the time. Uh -huh. He took off or he was trying to take off that week and when I started, I came here and did my own set point. He didn't get any call for that week. And he was so happy. <laughs> he told me, he told me, after starting now, I will start to ask you things. So they wait until I come back with my days off and then people start to talk to me. Like, ah, there is Hector, there is Hector. But before that, it was just me, just walking around with the, uh, listening some music, that's what I'm trying to say. People, they just don't talk to me. After they saw like... But you knew what you were doing. Yeah. Right. After that week, I earned a lot of respect. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do that? Adam, he cared about his job as well. He's an operator. 
class two and he took the exam yesterday for class three. Yeah. I didn't make it, but uh, we will we'll another keep try. On yeah. yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, I enjoy working with O Hector. Uh -huh. He's great to work with. He's taught me everything I know. And, yeah. For Hector, it's in his blood. You know, for us, it may not be, but uh, he definitely, oh, I think people want to be better because of they're inspired by Hector. So, yeah. I knew, like, I, I, will, I can put a lot of good things in people, mm -hmm. but I didn't know I would get, you know, this position. I'll be honest. Yeah. I'll be honest. I, I also I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this guy retired and uh, he retired and and are you going to apply, Hector? Well, you know I don't know. Yeah. It's probably because I always say my English barrier, but well, we have we have been work uh, talking in the last three and a half hours, and I'm pretty sure at least seventy five percent of what we talk you understood. So at least. I don't know. Ninety percent. Ninety percent. So I don't know why. Sometimes I struggle with that. Maybe that's why, but doesn't. Probably that's why I never saw myself in this kind of position. But we have another operator here. His name is Tom Kobe. I met him in 2018. That's how I started in Bleacher Pool, like a wastewater operator. And when I started, I remember I didn't have my license. I was studying for uh, for some of my license for the drinking water side. And he told me, Hector, you're going to be big in this in this place. He always told me that, and I say, well, I don't know, Tom. You know, with my English and this and that. And he told me, eh, you will see. And I believe he was kind of my mentor or coach in this because he always yeah go do it do it do it uh, you will see you will see you will see uh, <clears throat> and they all uh, when 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 i got when when big offered me the job uh they offered me the job it was to start let's say not the next week the following week and i say well yeah sure no problem and I got a call that evening from Tom Covey, and he told me, congratulations, boss. And I say, what? You know, I haven't talked to anyone. And he said, I knew, like, you will get the job. <laughs> thinking, damn. <laughs> um, so honestly, like, I didn't see myself like that. Hector Ortiz Sanchez is the Assistant Director of Operations at the City of Bloomington Utilities. It's time for a break. When we come back, we'll introduce our new Guilty Pleasures segment with an attempt to theorize the guilty pleasure. Stick around. Welcome back to Interstates. I'm Alex Chambers. I'm launching a new segment, Guilty Pleasures. And who better to launch it with than the person who got me thinking about my own relationship to guilty pleasures? Yeah, because that's <laughs> pretty much how we met. Exactly. Was, yeah. Right. right <laughs> me right, hounding right. you because I was a little bit inebriated about what your guilty <laughs> pleasures were. That's Jana Arndt. She's a new media artist and an assistant professor of studio art at the University of Southern Maine. When we talked, she was a lecturer in art here at Indiana University. I started by asking her to describe a guilty pleasure of her own. The most obvious one for me is probably bad movies, which has become like a really popular guilty pleasure, especially because of podcasts and people like sharing. Right. Yeah. Because it used to be what Mystery Science Theater. Yeah. Um, and that was like, you know, the pop culture version of bad movies as a guilty pleasure. But yeah, that would probably be my biggest one that I've been rocking out since middle school, uh -huh. probably. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think most of that is just like parenting. Like, like my dad made me watch a lot of B films. Like Rocky Horror Picture was obviously like huge in the 70s. And like that was his time. Yeah. I mean, but that's also like because maybe because of its cult status or something, right. I feel like it's become not just a guilty pleasure. Right. Well, right. and so I think that's 
not to like jump the gun, but I think that's the most interesting thing to me about that question of like, what is your guilty pleasure that I find most interesting as an artist is that it's the class structure of cultural media that I find so interesting about it because I love like a lot of my research is around class issues in art and like the separation of like craft and fine art and like low class things versus high class things and all of that really interests me as an artist working in academia because it's just a constant battle especially now with like Instagram artists and like purely net-based artists and all of those new media aspects of it like so many professors still have such a very strict view as to what makes valid artwork and how they teach is affected by that, which I find really interesting. So I love people's guilty pleasures. One, because I don't think they should be guilty, but two, because I think it's the fastest way to just understand what they value about culture or like media. And that's what I like. We were just having this conversation about AI in a faculty meeting. Mm -hmm. And one of the professors, I won't name names, but they were saying how they already have problems convincing students that Instagram artists aren't as valid as like artists that they teach about, which I was just like, well, this is an interesting conversation, isn't it? Right. Like choosing validity for culture is what guilty pleasures is all about. Like we were saying at the beginning, like, I don't know, should we even find guilt at all? Right. Yeah. So I, I threw this question out to my colleagues here, and I was like, let's all talk about, each of you think of something and, and come in and we'll talk about it, and I'll air it over the course of however long. So a couple of us were having this conversation, and that that thing that you were just saying came up, which was that like this idea of a guilty pleasure does imply judgment. It yeah. implies the fact that this thing is bad in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, I kind of a little bit wanted to defend the... The segment, the idea, partly because I want to be able to do it, right? But also, but also because there is that judgment, but that judgment isn't necessarily coming from the individual, and it's not even necessarily coming from the uh, the the public radio uh, producer or audience, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> public radio has a kind of class dimension, right. As well, of course, and and certain stereotypes and assumptions about it. But also I was like, but we can think about these things as the things that are cons- like widely agreed upon as things that aren't necessarily respectful things to be enjoying. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that's also what's interesting to me about like bad movie culture as well, or even like WWE as a guilty pleasure, right? This evening to present Fighting Out of the Conqueror's Corner, the Bray Harper smashing nightmare of Suplex City! My academic brain, I think, enjoys watching things that I actively know are exploitative towards my group. I don't know if that makes sense, but like, there's something interesting to me about taking something like gay bed and breakfast of horror or whatever or terror whatever this terrible movie you know the one that pretty smile doesn't have cult status it's just like a bad movie it's so cute it's so gay southwest Watch out for the straights and watching that from my academic brain and still finding interesting artistic decisions within that that i enjoy Have you ever been with with a woman? Star. You better watch out for the straight. You ripped my sweater. Like, so it's not the exploitation that I'm enjoying. It's like understanding it with the cultural knowledge that I have that is interesting to me. Or still finding pleasure in that is also a little bit liberating, like with really bad 80s action movies. I love 80s action stars, like especially the worst of their catalog. Uh-huh. Like, oeuvre. Yeah, like <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme's oeuvre, right? Uh-huh. Like I love really bad early versions of Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. <laughs> they're like all the same but 
And they're always super sexist and very, like, heteronormative. But, like, there's something really pleasurable about that to me, or, like, getting to tear them apart that I, I enjoy. I mean, there's a sense of irony about it, it sounds like, as you're watching it. Because you're watching with that critical mind, partly. Right. But I think there's also something about just kind of being able to sink into something. Like, is it about being able to, like, sink into the norms of our society that are just completely dominant? Yeah. And then just kind of, like, just go with it. Not have to be fighting it. Not have to be trying to create something that, like, shakes things up. And it's, like, the most extreme version of that. You know what I mean? (laughs) So it's also almost making fun of itself even though it doesn't mean to. Right. Which I also love because it's taking it to its own satirical point without realizing it. And that's what I think I enjoy. As well as, like, and I was just talking to this uh, about this with one of the visiting professors here because she's also really into, like, B-horror movies. There's something about watching something that is bad not on purpose Because I don't really like, what is it, like Sharknado or something that's like aware of itself. But watching something that was clearly someone's dream. Like they saw this in their head and they worked really hard. I mean, no movie is cheap. Even the worst movie is very expensive. And seeing somebody's dream come to life and have it just be terrible is really great. (laughs) Like I love it. I love it so much. And maybe that's because like art making is inherently embarrassing and painful. So like watching somebody else's and then also still being like, you did it. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You made a thing. It's just bad. <laughs> <laughs> that point about that anonymous professor who was like, I have trouble convincing students that Instagram art is not art. Right. I know. That's Don't get me started. But a yeah. lot of people feel that way. Like um, somebody making pottery and filming it and putting it on TikTok is somehow lesser than anybody else creating pottery and putting it in a gallery and selling it. Like, but maybe that's because I'm a new media artist. So like, I don't know, but I, uh, there's a lot of classism still there really, but like the need for validation in the classical structure of art making Mm -hmm. is something that I'm actively trying to train out of my students. And especially with this AI argument, right? Like, of people generating AI-based artwork or whatever, like, like what is and what isn't art? art? Yeah, like, what counts as art? Like, going back to the TikTok and making, throwing pots or whatever, filming that and is is the film of it the art? It made me think of like how Andy Goldsworthy makes these things out in nature and takes photographs of them and puts them in books, okay. and the coffee table books are very expensive and high class. And is that really any different on some level than someone putting a TikTok video up? But they have, you know, completely different statuses. Exactly. And you get the Andy Goldsworthy book, and that is, like, something that shows that you know certain things. I'm in the in-group. Right, exactly. And me having, like, seen thousands of hours of... I don't know, frog people. I don't know, like, you know what I mean? And that's low class. And I I don't know if it's supposed to be the intentionality of it, but I mean, I, I already have so many problems with intentionality and art making anyway, but um, is it the intention of John Waters that made, you know, him a genius? Or the intention mm-hmm. of, like, the jackass dudes? Right. Yeah, is that what makes it? valid or worthy or not because like what about all of the people who have the intention of making performance-based art online that isn't recognized until it's shown in a gallery like the intention is the same it's the venue which is all owned by rich people so unless some rich old person tends to stumble upon your thing like and most of the I don't know a lot of the like up-and-coming famous artists now were found by curators who knew somebody who knew somebody like right so it's all circles of influence and class in class yeah that's all it is our guilty pleasures primarily about social class tune in next time we do the segment to find out whether that question will get answered but as you could probably tell i'm inclined to agree with jana on that one class is a big part of it 
Okay, that's it for our show this week. You've been listening to Interstates from WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana. If you have a story for us or you've got some sound we should hear, let us know at wfiu.org interstates. And hey, review and rate us on Apple or Spotify. It helps people find the show. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram. We've got your quick moment of slow radio coming up, but first, the credits. Interstates is produced and edited by me, Alex Chambers, with support from Violet Barron, Aabon Binder, Jillian Blackburn, Mark Chilla, Avi Forrest, Luann Johnson, Sam Schemenauer, Jay Upshaw, Peyton Whaley, and Kate Young. Our executive producer is Eric Bolstridge. Special thanks this week to Vic Kelson for connecting me with Hector Ortiz Sanchez, to Hector himself and all the folks at the Dillman Wastewater Treatment Plant, and to Jana Arndt. All right, time for some found sound. That was the Eagleson Parking Garage, early morning, late March. Until next week, I'm Alex Chambers. Thanks, as always, for listening. Mm-hmm.